Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I am proud to be your host, Terence M. Stanton. Thank you for joining us. Today is Thursday, January 6, 2022, as I am recording this. A blessed feast of the Epiphany to you. We are continuing with chapter 4 of The Secret Still Hidden by Christopher A. Ferrara. This book is available for free download at the Fatima Center website, Fatima.org. I always suggest you checking out the Fatima Center website. They have a lot of great material. And I've purchased um, physical copies of this book, probably six of them over the years. And they're available right now, I think, for maybe only $5 or something like that. So if you want to get a physical copy of the book, head on over to Fatima.org. So let's continue. The next section says, Ratzinger follows Sodano, but why? Despite these enormous problems with Sodano's preventative interpretation, Cardinal Ratzinger's theological commentary and message adopts it uncritically, albeit while acknowledging that it is only an attempt at an interpretation. Before attempting an interpretation, the main lines of which can be found in the statement read by Cardinal Sodano on 13 May of this year. For this reason, the figurative language of the vision is symbolic. In this regard, Cardinal Sodano stated, As is clear from the documentation presented here, the interpretation offered by Cardinal Sodano in his statement on 13 May, First of all, we must affirm with Cardinal Sodano. Cardinal Ratzinger's commentary follows Sodano in pronouncing the third secret a thing of the past. A careful reading of the text of the so-called Third Secret of Fatima, published here in its entirety long after the fact and by decision of the Holy Father, will probably prove disappointing or surprising after all the speculation it has stirred. No great mystery is revealed, nor is the future unveiled. We see the Church of the Martyrs of the century which has just passed, represented in a scene described in a language which is symbolic and not easy to decipher. We must affirm with Cardinal Sodano that the events to which the third part of the Secret of Fatima refers now seem part of the past. Insofar as individual events are described, they belong to the past. These affirmations are plainly impossible to accept, for if the vision reveals no great mystery and concerns only 20th century events, there would have been no reason to keep it under lock and key at the Vatican since 1957, or to declare in 1960 that it would be kept forever under absolute seal. Nor would there have been any reason for Cardinal Ratzinger to have declared in 1984 that the secret speaks of dangers threatening the faith and the life of the Christian and therefore of the world. There is a mystery here. Cardinal Sudano's competence to interpret the secret is never explained. The Vatican Secretary of State has no doctrinal authority over the Church, and Sudano did not receive any papal authority to undertake his interpretation, which is presented as a mere attempt to explain the vision. Why, then? Was Sodano even involved in the matter? This strange situation appears to reflect the ascendancy of the Vatican Secretary of State to the level of a veritable Prime Minister of the Church, in keeping with the radical restructuring of the Roman Curia carried out by Cardinal Velo after Vatican II. According to this restructuring, the Secretary of State was elevated above all the Vatican congregations and tribunals, the pontifical councils, and numerous administrative offices, with the Secretary of State directing and coordinating the entire ensemble. Thanks to Villot's work, the Secretary of State became nothing less than a kind of de facto pope, 
even though the divine constitution of the Church does not include this arrangement. In fact, the Vatican Secretariat of State did not even exist until the 15th century. While the real Pope has retained ultimate authority, in practical terms, he has largely been reduced to rubber-stamping the Secretary of State's daily management of Church affairs. In the post-conciliar epoch of ecumenism, dialogue, and aggiornamento, updating, of the Church, the message of Fatima has become a matter of ecclesiastical politics over which the Secretariat of State assumed control, and which it still controls in the person of Sodano's successor, Cardinal Bertone. This explains why Sodano took it upon himself to interpret the vision, and why even Cardinal Ratzinger, then head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, deferred to Sodano when he had no moral or dogmatic obligation to do so. Did Our Lady Give Us a Cipher? Sodano's interpretation of the Third Secret was said to be necessary because, as Cardinal Ratzinger states in his commentary, the vision is not easy to decipher. But were the faithful really expected to believe that in 1917 the Blessed Virgin gave the visionaries a cipher that would have to be deciphered by, of all people, the Vatican Secretary of State in 2000? That hardly seems consistent with the clarity and detail of the Second Secret, which, as we have seen, predicted a whole train of clearly specified future events, the end of one war and the beginning of another worse war, following an unknown light in the night sky, the very name of the Pope who would reign in the days leading up to that war, the very name of the nation that would spread its errors throughout the world, precise admonitions concerning war, famine, persecutions of the church, the martyrdom of the good, the suffering of the Holy Father, and the annihilation of various nations, and the ultimate conversion of Russia and the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The not-easy-to-decipher vision would not require deciphering. However, if, as with the first two parts of the Great Secret of Fatima, there are words of the Virgin to explain it, as opposed to Vatican prelates, attempting an interpretation, the main lines of which can be found in the statement read by Cardinal Sodano on 13 May of this year. The very claim that the Third Secret could not be understood without an interpretation, suggested by Cardinal Sodano, only demonstrated that there must be something more to the secret than the vision standing alone. Dispensing with the Consecration of Russia Although the consecration of Russia is not the primary focus of this book, the way in which this question was handled in message is indicative of a general intent to sweep inconvenient facts under the rug. Bertone's introduction purports to enlist Sister Lucia for the proposition that Pope John Paul II's consecration of the world in 1984 sufficed for a consecration of Russia. Sister Lucia personally confirmed that this solemn and universal act of consecration corresponded to what Our Lady wished. Hence, any further discussion or request for the consecration of Russia is without basis. But how could Sister Lucia confirm that the same sort of ceremony, that did not suffice during the reigns of Pius Twelfth and Paul VI, a consecration of the world with no mention of Russia and no participation by the world episcopate, was suddenly sufficient. Curiously, Bertone cites only one solitary piece of evidence in support of his claim, a purported letter from Sister Lucia identified only as Letter of 8 November 1989, in which Sister Lucia is alleged to have written, Yes, it has been done just as Our Lady asked, on 25 March 1984. Even more curious, the addressee of the letter is not identified, nor is a copy of it provided, as part of messages supporting document documentation.
Knowledgeable readers of Message knew why. The letter to a Mr. Nolker had long since been exposed as a fake. Generated by a computer at the dawn of the personal computer age, the letter contained a blatant error, a statement by Sister Lucia that Paul VI consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart during his visit to Fatima in 1967, when in truth he had consecrated nothing at all on that occasion. Sister Lucia, who was present throughout the Pope's visit, would hardly have made such a mistake. Nor is it credible that an elderly cloistered nun, who had written thousands of letters by hand over her lifetime, would suddenly switch to a word processor at age 80 to peck out a one-page note to a Mr. Nolker, especially when even many business offices in Portugal were without personal computers at that time. Still more curious, the dubious letter of 8 November 1989 was the only evidence Bertone cited, even though, as message states, Bertone had conversed with Sister Lucia on April 27, 2000, only two months earlier, and could have obtained her direct testimony on this question at that time, or indeed at any other time. The failure to cite any direct testimony by Lucia when such testimony was readily obtainable speaks volumes. And note well, during the April 2000 conversation, Bertone did not ask Sister Lucia to authenticate the letter of 8 November 1989. Even though Bertone had to have known of the worldwide circulation of articles decisively debunking the letter. The only reasonable inference is that Lucia was not asked to authenticate the letter because the letter was indeed a fake that could not be authenticated. To knowledgeable Catholics, it was not surprising that Bertone had been forced to rely entirely on a non-authenticated and previously publicly debunked 11-year-old letter to an unidentified addressee. That purported letter was the only thing Bertone could pit against a lifetime of contrary testimony by Sister Lucia. A funeral for Fatima? All in all, Sodano's interpretation was patently designed to consign the third secret in particular, and the message, excuse me, and the Fatima message in general, to the dustbin of history, evidently in the hope that all questions would cease after June 26, 2000. Following Sodano's lead, Bertone's introduction goes so far as to declare the decision of His Holiness, Pope John Paul II, to make public the third part of the secret of Fatima brings to an end a period of history marked by tragic human lust for power and evil, yet pervaded by the merciful love of God and the watchful care of the Mother of Jesus and of the Church. Not only is the message of Fatima consigned to the past, but also the very lust for power and evil. But if the Pope had brought an end to the era of the lust for power and evil by publishing the vision of the bishop dressed in white in the year 2000, why had he not ended that same tragic era by publishing the vision much sooner, indeed at the first opportunity? Bertone, however, inadvertently makes a mockery of the Vatican's suppression of the Third Secret for so many years. Even worse than Message's defense of the preventative interpretation is its suggestion that Sister Lucia's entire witness might be suspect. The theological commentary cites one, and only one, authority on Fatima, the late Flemish theologian, Eduard Donis, S.J., whom the commentary identifies as an eminent scholar in the field of private revelations. Cardinal Ratzinger knew, of course, that Donis, a modernist Jesuit, made a veritable career out of casting doubt on the Fatima apparitions. Donis proposed that everything in the message of Fatima, beyond a call for prayer and penance, was cobbled together in the minds of the three children from things they had seen or heard in their own lives. 
Donis thus categorized as Fatima II all those things the eminent scholar arbitrarily rejected as fabrications, without ever once interviewing Sister Lucia or studying the official Fatima archives. Donis, in fact, flatly refused to speak to the seer or study the archives when invited to do so. His intellectual honesty is non-existent when it comes to Fatima. As Donis put it, all things considered, it is not easy to state precisely what degree of credence is to be given to the accounts of Sister Lucia. Without questioning her sincerity or the sound judgment she shows in daily life, one may judge it prudent to use her writings only with reservations. Let us observe also that a good person can be sincere and prove to have good judgment in everyday life, but have a propensity for unconscious fabrication in a certain area, or in any case, a tendency to relate old memories of 20 years ago with embellishments and considerable modifications. In other words, according to Donis, Sister Lucia was a very sincere and pious fake. Yet Donis, neo-modernist debunker of the message of Fatima, is the one and only eminent scholar cited by Message's theological commentary on the meaning of the third secret and the Fatima message as a whole. The commentary even follows Donis' methodology by suggesting that, after all, Sister Lucia may have concocted the vision from things she had seen as a child. The concluding part of the secret uses images which Lucia may have seen in devotional books and which draw their inspiration from long-standing intuitions of faith. <coughs> but if that were true of the images in the vision of the bishop in white, it could also be true of any and all aspects of the Fatima apparitions. With a single sentence inserted into the middle of things, the commentary, like Donis, undermines the credibility, at least in the minds of a gullible public, not only at the third secret proper, but the entirety of the message of Fatima. No wonder the headline in the Los Angeles Times read, The Vatican's top theologian gently debunks a nun's account of her 1917 vision that fueled decades of speculation. Even the secular press could see what was going on, the attempt at a funeral for Fatima. Exit Our Lady, enter Gorbachev. The third secret, having been gently debunked on June 26, the Prime Minister immediately got down to what he considered the serious business of the Church. The very next day, none other than Mikhail Gorbachev was seated as a guest of honor between Cardinal Sodano and Silvestrini at a Vatican press conference. The conference had been called to celebrate one of the key elements of the Church's supposedly new orientation after Vatican II as administered by the Secretary of State, Ostpolitik, or the policy of conciliating instead of confronting communist regimes that oppressed the Church. Gorbachev had come to the Vatican to help promote the posthumous publication of the memoir of Cardinal Casaroli, the grand architect of Ostpolitik, and Cardinal Sodano's predecessor in office. No questions from the press were permitted at this curious press conference, a press conference without questions from the press. Evidently, Sodano wanted to be certain that no one inquired about the third secret or why the Vatican was honoring the likes of Gorbachev, a man who admits he is still a Leninist and whose tax-free foundations are promoting the use of abortion and contraception to eliminate billions of people from the world's population. What can one conclude from all of this but that the program of Prime Minister Sodano, carried forward by his successor Cardinal Bertone, is radically inconsistent with the program of Our Lady of Fatima. Widespread Disbelief 
For these and many other reasons, reaction to the Vatican's publication of the vision of the bishop in white and Sodano's interpretation of it was, quite simply, widespread disbelief. Contrary to what Sodano and company no doubt intended, the June 26 press conference was not the end of the third secret controversy, but only a new beginning. On the very day of the press conference, an editor of Il Journal asked René Laurentin, the renowned Mariologist, if he felt the Vatican had now clarified everything regarding the third secret. Laurentin replied, not at all. There are some things that did not convince me. Laurentin was putting it mildly, and he was hardly alone in his doubts. As Sochi notes, the official account of the third secret, especially its interpretation by Cardinal Sodano, leaked water from every part, and everyone could see it. La Repubblica, one of Italy's major newspapers, agreed. Only a day after the press conference, an editorial appeared in which the author declared flatly, the celebrated third secret cannot be reconciled with the dramatic events of May 13, 1981. There is no pope who falls apparently dead. The scene is another, a pope killed by soldiers who fire bullets and arrows at him. It is no use to invoke the language of symbols and metaphor. The vision points somewhere else entirely. But where, so she asks, evidently toward a pope who has yet to arrive. The words of the Virgin would tell us who that pope is, but the words of the Virgin were missing. Less than a year after the message press conference, the worldwide incredulity of the faithful was given voice by Mother Angelica, the founders of the Eternal Word television network, who in May 2001 declared to a television audience of millions, as for the secret, well... I happen to be one of those individuals who thinks we didn't get the whole thing. I told you. I mean, you have the right to your own opinion, don't you, Father? There, you know, that's my opinion, because I think it's scary. Some five years after Mother Angelica expressed her incredulity to the world, Sochi would completely change his mind, reject the Vatican's official account, and join the growing ranks of Catholics who are convinced the Vatican has withheld from the faithful a text of the Third Secret a text containing the words of the Mother of God, following the telltale, etc., that message so conspicuously avoided. So she was led to this conclusion by the facts thus far presented. As those facts show, the document the Vatican produced in 2000, while undoubtedly a part of the Third Secret, does not present any of the many elements discussed in chapters 2 and 3. To recapitulate those elements, on its face, the vision of the bishop dressed in white is not, one, something so terrible that Sister Lucia would not have been able to write it down without a special intervention of Our Lady, two, a statement containing the words of the Virgin, which are the logical continuation of in Fatima, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved, etc., Father Schweigel, three, one page and 25 lines in letter form, Sister Lucia, Cardinal Ottaviani, Bishop Venanzio, that was lodged in the papal apartment, Archbishop Capavia, Mother Pasqualina, Robert Sereau, four, in two parts, one pertaining to the Pope and the other containing the logical continuation of the Virgin's words in her opening declaration, in Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved, etc., Father Schweigel. Five, linked to 1960, the year in which the sealed envelope was to be opened, according to the express order of Our Lady, inscribed on the envelope, Sister Lucia. Six, a divine warning about suicidal changes in the liturgy, theology, and soul of the church, Pius XII. 7. 
a prediction that after 1960, the devil would decimate the ranks of priests and religious, leaving the faithful without spiritual leaders, and that nations will disappear from the face of the earth. Sister Lucia to Father Fuentes in 1957. 8. So delicate that it cannot be allowed, for whatever reason, even fortuitous, to fall into alien hands. Cardinal Ottaviani, 1967. 9. A text that was diplomatically withheld because of the seriousness of its contents, including great trials and tribulations for the Church, which it is no longer possible to avert, and the destruction of whole areas of the earth, so that from one moment to the next millions of people will perish. John Paul II at Fulda, 1980. 10. A text that, a year after the 1981 assassination attempt, still could not be revealed because it could be badly interpreted as of 1982. John Paul II. 11. A religious prophecy of dangers threatening the faith and the life of the Christian and therefore of the world. Cardinal Ratzinger, 1984. 12. Something that would make for the sensationalistic utilization of its contents. Cardinal Ratzinger in 1985. 13. A prediction of apostasy in the church. Cardinal Odie. That begins at the top. Cardinal Chappie. And is worse than the annihilation of a nation. Bishop Doamaral. 14. A text whose details would cause disequilibrium in the church as of 1996, a full 15 years after the assassination attempt. Cardinal Ratzinger. 15. Essentially the same as the message of Our Lady of Akita, which warns of both a crisis of faith within the church and a planetary catastrophe. Cardinal Ratzinger to Howard D., former Philippine ambassador to the Vatican, 1998. 16. A warning to avoid the tail of the dragon, which sweeps consecrated souls from their vocations. John Paul II, May 13, 2000. The Missing Key to the Vision While the vision of the bishop in white does not present any of these elements, it would, however, be consistent with every one of them if there was a separate text, a key to the vision, in which the Virgin explains the vision along the lines indicated by the many witnesses already cited. Such an explanation would involve this scenario. Following a collapse of faith and discipline in the church after 1960, the world will suffer a tremendous chastisement. A great part of humanity will be destroyed. The city of Rome itself will be reduced to ruins. A hobbling pope will flee Rome only to be executed by a band of soldiers on a hill outside the city, and much of the remnant of the church will be hunted down and killed after him. It is worth noting that such a text would also be consistent with the historically recorded prophetic remarks of Pope St. Pius X. I saw one of my successors taking to flight over the bodies of his brethren. He will take refuge in disguise somewhere, and after a short retirement, he will die a cruel death. The present wickedness of the world is only the beginning of sorrows, which must take place before the end of the world. Now, once again... We know from Father Schweigel's testimony that the third secret has two parts. One part concerns the Pope, and the other is the aforesaid logical continuation of the words of the Virgin following Lucia's etc. Therefore, we can conclude, just as Soshi has concluded, that the vision of the bishop dressed in white is the part of the secret that concerns the Pope, i.e. his execution on the hill outside the half-ruined city, and that the second part must explain the event's leading to the death of this future Pope. Only such a text would convert what Cardinal Ratzinger called a difficult-to-decipher vision into a prophecy as clear 
as the rest of the message of Fatima. Since the mother of God did not come to Fatima to convey debatable obscurities to mankind, it would become obvious to more and more people that the disclosure of June 26, 2000 was incomplete. Recognizing the growing trend of popular incredulity, Cardinal Bertone would make a move that only increased that incredulity and provided yet another reason for Sochi to join the ranks of the Fatimists. Thus concludes the end of chapter 4. Please join me in honoring the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostri. Amen. Prayer to St. Joseph for Purity by Father Donald Calloway. St. Joseph, strong spiritual father, defend me against sins of the flesh. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. St. Joseph, terror of demons, protect me from lust, immoral desires in my heart, and impure actions in my body. Help me not to offend God. Here and now I chain myself to you and sacrifice everything for the good, the true, and the beautiful. I love you, St. Joseph, and I thank you for being my spiritual father. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis. Sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis. Thank you for listening to episode 62 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I am your host, Terence M. Stanton. Please tune in next time, and please remind your family and friends to tune in too. Goodbye, and God love you.